3: Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. at and
1: If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss.
4: This is Lee Habib and this is Our American Stories. And we tell stories about everything here on this show, from the arts to sports and from business to history and everything in between, including your story. Send them to ouramericanstories.com. Sue Thomas became the first deaf person to work as an undercover specialist doing lip reading of suspects for an elite surveillance team at the FBI. In 1990, Thomas wrote her autobiography entitled Silent Night, which became the basis for the TV series Sue Thomas, FBI, P-Y-E. The continuing story of her life is chronicled in Staying in the Race, where Thomas shares stories about living with multiple sclerosis. Here's Sue Thomas.
5: Some of you might have remembered that TV show called Sue Thomas, FBI. And as I travel around the country speaking, I find that I keep getting asked three most popular questions. Question number one, are you the real Sir Thomas? (laughs) Question number two, how long did you work for the FBI? Only for three and a half years. Just long enough to get a TV show out of it. (laughs) And question number three, Did you really run down the street catching the bad guys? Do I look like I ran down the street catching (laughs) the bad guys? It's been an awful lot of fun. You know, if you look back on my life, it has all the elements for Hollywood. The drama, the action, the intensity, the loss. And yet, when it came down to actually telling the real story of Sir Thomas, Hollywood wouldn't even touch him. I'm going to share the story that Hollywood wouldn't even touch. That journey started out very early in my life, at the age of 18 months when very suddenly, in the evening, I went profoundly deaf. There was never a cause known. I wasn't sick. I just had my hearing one moment, and the next moment, I was walking the path of silence. Years was spent with a speech therapist in front of a mirror, with my hand on her throat, feeling the vibes, and making those same vibes. At the same time, I would be looking in the mirror, watching her form her lips that made the word, and then for me to try to form my lips the same way. After years of speech therapy came voice lessons. No, not for a professional thing, but only to get my voice to fluctuate, to go up and down and up and down. And after years the voice came dramatic reading, only for the articulation and enunciation of words. So many, many years has gone into this voice, and yet I know I still talk funny. And people say, oh, no, you don't what I do. Well, how do you know that? Well, I can be at the airport, a restaurant, a hotel, any place at any time. And somebody will always come up to me and say, where are you from? You really have an accent. It's just a little bit different. And I'm aware of that. I went to public school teacher put me in the first row so I'd be able to read the lips as best as I could. I really didn't understand too much, but I tried to follow what the class was doing. And I remember that day as far as watching the students stand by their desk. And I finally figured it out. They were introducing themselves to their classmates. It became my turn that day, and I remember getting up and standing beside my desk and very proudly looking out at my classmates and saying something like, (laughs) And with that, the entire class erupted in laughter. (laughs) Those kids were laughing so hard that day, I turned around to try to figure why everybody was laughing. And when I couldn't figure it out, I just sat down. But I came to realize that every time I was to open my mouth to speak, the entire class would erupt in laughter. And I got to the point where I wouldn't open my mouth. For 12 years, I sat in the silence. And never once did I open my mouth. In that school. The defining moment of having my teacher come up to me one day at my desk. And she looked awful sad that day and she re- reached down and took my hands in hers and she led me out of the classroom. And that day it seemed like was an awful long walk. And that was the day I entered another class. I entered what was known as the dummy class, and now all these kids had more ammunition to work with. I just didn't talk funny. I was now the dummy. There were three things in my life as a child that saved me from total despair. One, my parents went to church on Sundays, And they tried to instill in me that there was a God that did not make any mistakes.
4: And you're listening to the voice of Sue Thomas. And my goodness, what a childhood it must have been. I just didn't talk funny. I was the dummy. And I know we can all conjure up what that must have been like for her. Because many of us may have been those kids laughing at her. Or at least hurting for her and not standing up for her. And then she hears about this God that doesn't make mistakes. When we come back, more of Sue Thomas's story, a unique and beautiful voice, here on Our American Stories. Folks, if you love the great American stories we tell and love America like we do, we're asking you to become a part of the Our American Stories family. If you agree that America is a good and great country, please make a donation. A monthly gift of $17.76 is fast becoming a favorite option for supporters. Go to OurAmericanStories.com now and go to the Donate button and help us keep the Great American Stories coming. That's OurAmericanStories.com.
3: When you don't know what's next, you don't know what's next. And thus, anything can be next. Join me as we dive into captivating stories and research backed ideas that have empowered me and others to lead lives with more clarity and intention. Everyday Better, making growth an everyday practice. Listen to Everyday Better on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
6: The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well known to Americans. And yet,
4: And we continue with our American stories and the story of Sue Thomas.
5: They tried to tell me about his son named Jesus. And that if I would hold on to his hand and allow him to lead me and guide me, that there wouldn't be anything that I couldn't do or anything that I couldn't become. Secondly, I had a song, did you get that? I had a song, no, I have no recollection of music, but I had a mother that loved music and she wanted to pass that love onto her only daughter whether she could hear it or not. And as a little kid, she would place me on her lap as she sat in the rocking chair rocking back and forth, singing all of her favorite songs. With my head on her as she sang. I could feel the vibrations. And if I really liked the song particularly well, my hand would sort of creep up and lay gently on her throat so that I could get all the vibes that I possibly could. It must have been around Christmas time because one of the first songs that my mom ever taught me was Silent Night. And I loved that song. Now, as a little kid, it wasn't the words. The words had no meaning. Rather, it was the rhythm and the flow that brought forth tremendous peace. And I can remember After a long lousy day of school, going home on the school bus, looking out the window, with my nose all pressed up against the glass, (laughs) so nobody's seen the tears flow down my cheek. Way down deep. I was dicting fight at night. And I'd be okay. The only thing I ever wanted as a kid was a friend. Let's face it, who wants to be a friend to a dummy? Who wants to be a friend to somebody that talks funny? And I never knew what the word friendship meant, at least not until I got to high school. By the time I went to high school, I met up with those crowds that was totally disrespectful, outright rebellion into alcohol, into drugs, into everything. And it was my means of escape, at least trying to escape, the world of silence. God's hand was upon me. For he brought in a teacher in my junior year that believed in me and began to work with me one-on-one. It was through her life I went to college. And even though I got to college, it took me eight years to leave the place. <laughs> eight years passed. I thought the world couldn't wait to give me a job. But I found out the world could wait forever. There wasn't one person that was willing to give me a job simply because I couldn't use the telephone, or they thought that I would misunderstand what was being said. And I went back to the same Hearing and Speech Center that taught me to speak, pounded on their doors asking for a job. They felt sorry for me. Why? They hired me even when they didn't have a job. I became like a gopher, a jack of all trades, doing whatever they wanted me to do. And I can remember some days taking paper clips out of one box, sticking those paper clips in another box, and then putting them in the closet. I was only there for a few short months. You see, it was a friend at the Hearing and Speech Center, who in turn had a friend that lived in Washington, D.C., who in turn had a friend that worked for the Department of State, who in turn had a friend that worked for the FBI. Are you following this? (laughs) So a friend of a friend of a friend of a friend from Washington, D.C. to Youngstown, Ohio, I get wind that the FBI is looking for deaf people. And if you don't think that I panicked, I thought to myself, what did we do? (laughs) It took them a long time to calm me down that day. (laughs) Basically, they said, you didn't do anything. They just want to know if you want a job. Do I want a job? Somebody was finally going to hire me for who I was. Scratch that, I'm going to Washington DC, that's awesome. But the more I realized it, the more I knew I was going to be with the FBI. It just doesn't get any better. So off I go to Washington DC, and the first week is like a dream come true. They took me around, they introduced me to all the special agents. And after all the introductions was over, they took me downstairs to the firing range, where all the agents practiced their target shooting. That was the very first mistake. The second mistake is when they handed me a Thompson 45 submachine gun. I shot up their entire ceiling that day without even trying. It was a long time before they let me go back downstairs, and then I started my training to become what was known as a fingerprint examiner for the FBI. Within the first five minutes, I realized they had made the greatest mistake of my life. Someday, when you don't have anything else to do, take a look at any one of your fingers really, really close. All those lines are fingerprints. It was my job to count every single one of those lines on that finger. Eight hours a day, five days a week. And I can honestly tell you, if you've seen one fingerprint, you've seen them all. (laughs) One day, my supervisor comes running in. She's all upset. She tells me I have to get to the front office right away. There's only two reasons a person goes to the front office of the FBI. Either to be terminated from their job, or to be interrogated by the FBI agents. I get to the front office, I walk in, and they tell me to sit down. And that day, the question started. And they went something like this. "Miss <coughs> Thomas, And we understand that you read lips to communicate, and you do a very good job. But there's only one thing we want to know, just one thing. Do you watch TV? (laughs) Do I watch TV? That's all you guys want to know? It's a federal crime to watch TV. <laughs> I confess, I watch TV. <laughs> well, is it difficult for you, Ms. Thomas? Do you get anything out of them?
7: <laughs>
5: yeah, I do. I mean, no, I don't. <laughs> I mean, I don't know, do you know what I mean? <laughs> You know, if the camera's on the person and I can see their lips, I can read them. But so many times the camera's not on the person that I can't see anything, so I don't know when anything's being said.
4: And you're listening to Sue Thomas, and what a voice. She owns it now, you can hear it, but as a young person, well, every time she opened her mouth, kids laughed. So for 12 years, as she said, she sat on the sidelines. And my goodness, then the FBI. Well, they're looking for deaf people. And what a sense of humor. What a life story. When we come back, more with Sue Thomas, her story here on Our American Story. And we continue with our American stories and the story of Sue Thomas by Sue Thomas. Let's continue.
5: Well, how about movies, Ms. Thomas? Do You go to movies. Is it any better for you? Oh, yes. I go to movies. And it's a lot better. It really is. You know, it's the lips. They're a lot bigger. (laughs) On and on went the questions and I came to realize that the FBI had a huge problem. They were working on a case in which they video filmed the suspect. But when the camera activated, the sound mechanism failed. They had all this film with the bad guys talking. They just couldn't hear it. They wanted to know if I would sit and watch the film and write any words down that I could. I said, sure. No problem. From that day on, I never went back to reading fingerprints. (laughs) From that day on, I read lips for the FBI. And they sum up my job. I followed the bad guys around, and I read their lips. Then I went and told the good guys what the bad guys were saying. (laughs) And they even paid me to do it, too. (laughs) And overnight, like the snap of a finger, I finally made it in the world of sound. Good job. Good salary. Somewhat of a novelty in Washington, where I began to be invited to Congressional and Senator's party. And for three and a half years, I lived in the fast lane of Washington, D.C., celebrating my success. I'm 35 years of age, well, I'm at the prime of the FBI and for 35 years I have hated every step, step that I took. When I was young, my parents tried to instill in me that God never made a mistake and in my youth I believed them, and I held them. But supposedly with each passing year of getting older and supposedly wiser, I began to doubt them. That by the time I'm with the FBI, I totally doubted God And I wanted to confront him once and for all. I wanted him to confess that yes, indeed, he had made a mistake. So I resigned from the FBI, the to Columbia International Seminary, CIU, South Carolina, not to go there to become a preacher, and not to go there to become a missionary, but with only one objective, to confront God face to face, to ask him why he made a mistake. The mistake was not minor, it was major. I mean, after all, anybody that would know of the mistake would have consideration of why I had to do this. It wasn't enough that he created in me a heart that loves people. I love people. And that came by God's creation that he put within me. But it's compounded by the issue that even though he created that love, and I want to be with people, he allowed the silence to overtake me, that it was physically impossible to be with people. That, my friends, is a mistake. It's a whopper. You don't give somebody something and then remove it in a tangible way where they can't have it. Helen Keller said it best when she said blindness separates a person from things and objects. Deafness separates a person from people. She's right. Oh yeah, I'm a good lip reader. In my prime, I could be in a high-rise building in New York City with a pair of field glasses looking across the street in another high-rise building. And telling you word for word what was being said. I'm good. Or I was. I'm so good I can even do two people. And, and that's like watching tennis. Somebody will talk, they'll stop. They'll talk, they'll stop. They'll talk, they'll talk, they'll talk. I can get it. But you add a third person and a fourth person. I start deteriorating. I cannot function in a groom And my heart wants us so desperately and so badly. I love to party, I love to be with people, but I can't. I can't. I got to seminary God was waiting. You see, he didn't just give me one or two friends in seminary that I could relate to. He had 25 friends waiting for me. 25. I can't be with three people, let alone 25. And yet, every day, we would go to class together. We would share meals together. We would study, we would pray, we would sing. We were always together. And these people saw the outward shell of Sue Thomas, the party animal, happy-go-lucky, the lion. Because what they didn't know is that when I left the mist and I went back to my apartment, I totally destroyed everything that I could get my hands on. The bitterness and resentment started during the first year of first grade. That puts me at six years old. From the age of six, to the age of 35, that baggage was growing with each passing moment that I was a broken person. I was a resentful person. I despised there wasn't a shred of happiness within her. And now I'm with 25 new friends.
4: And what a story, folks my goodness, with each passing year, as I got older, I began to doubt that God doesn't make mistakes. At 35, I wanted to confront God once and for all, and about one thing, that yes, he did make a mistake. And my goodness, to hear her talk about her bitterness. The bitterness and resentment had started in the first year of first grade at the age of six. Right to the age of 35, that baggage was growing with each moment. There wasn't a shred of happiness in me. When we come back, more of this remarkable confession, this beautiful confession, here on Our American Stories.
8: Listen to Hello Monday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The
6: 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well-known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters— I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the campaign moment right now, wherever you're listening.
4: And we continue here with our American stories and with Sue Thomas's story. And now... Here's the final part.
5: So many times I cried out to God, please give me my hearing. Please just let me hear. And it was always the same answer. The great silence. So I turned from God. I more or less gave up on him. I went to the one friend in seminary And I told her a lie. I told her that I had a terminal disease, that I was dying. Because in my warped mind, I thought if she believed me, she would want to spend as much time with me one-on-one. And that's exactly what happened. But what I didn't realize, the split second that I told that lie, that it would last for over seven months, and I had no idea that the first person I told that lie to that would have out of those 25 people. And surely, I had no idea that that lie would totally consume me and destroy me. Seven long months passed, and I was wasting away. And there came a time that I could not take it any longer, and I went to that same friend, and I said, please call my advisor at school. Tell him that I need to see him as soon as possible. Tell him to have another faculty member with him. It's urgent. And I met with those two men, tears streaming down my face, I confessed my sin. I knew that I would have to go to those 25 different people and to tell them the truth. And I was prepared to do that, I wanted to do it. But what I didn't know is that I would have to stand before the entire academic committee of that school. The night before I was to meet that committee was the longest, darkest, quietest night of my life. The shame and the guilt was so unbearable that I got my suitcase out, and I began to pack to run away. I couldn't face it. And while I'm packing, my Bible fell on the floor. And when I looked down, I sort of chuckled, and I shook my head because I could not believe the pages that were staring back to me. I put the Bible on the bed, and I went down on the floor, face down, and I cried out, for God, for mercy. Forgiveness. That I told him that for 35 years I went to church, I sat in the pew, I sang the hymn, I talked the talk and told people I was this Christian. How dare I? The next morning, I stood before the entire academic committee, tears streaming down my face, <clears throat> and my speech was so garbled with the emotion, I knew they had a hard time understanding me. The one thing that I remember more than anything else on that day of my confession with us all was one lone man sitting in a chair. His head was in his hands. And as he heard me speak, he shook his head back and forth. And as I watched him, the tears flowed down his face. That man was Dr. Robinson McCorkum. In the days before that meeting, the emotions ran so high. What will I say to him? What can I say? And that day fun, you're right. And wouldn't you know it, they sat me right next to him at a dinner table. He looked at me, and the first word that he spoke was, Sue, I'm so proud of you. I looked at him, and the tears began to flow, and I choked them, and I took my napkin, and I placed it on the table, and I said, you have to excuse me. And I walked out and I went outside and I kept thinking, God, he doesn't remember, he can't remember. He said, he was proud of me. So I regained my composure and I went back and I was able to finish the meal. And at that time I said, Dr. McFolkin, I need to see you as soon as possible or you meet with me. And he said, yes, tomorrow morning. I looked at him. And I said, did you ever kick anybody out? Did you ever spell anybody? And he looked puzzled. And he looked at me. He said, I don't think so. But I'm not sure. And then there was the great silence. And he said, Did we kick you out? No, sir. But you could have. And maybe you should have. But you didn't. Instead, you taught me Of the love and the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. And you just didn't stop with the love. You walked me through the healing process. And then you sent me. I don't know where I would have been had you kicked me out. And yet, for God... It was like the snap of a finger. All he had to do was a TV show called Sir Thomas FBI. Here in the United States, over 4 million people have watched it. Today, that show is being seen in 65 nations around the world. Germany, South Africa, Malaysia, Vietnam, Singapore, 65 nations, and the people write to me thinking they're writing this celebrity, and I have the opportunity to share a celebrity now, God's greatest sinner, saved by grace, yes. That is the real story of Sir Thomas, FBI. That is the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. So help me God.
4: And does anyone doubt her? No. What a thing. What a story. What a lie. What a lie to tell. But she was just hurting and that's why she told it. She was just looking for attention. And what a cry for help that was, lying about a terminal disease and having to go before your peers and then an academic committee and, well, face the pain. And she was going to run away and that Bible fell out of the book. And she threw herself on the threshing floor and she called out for forgiveness and grace. And she got both. And we don't shy away from these things. and this, this show is open to believers, non-believers, your stories, all of them we want to hear. And my goodness, this may be one of the most profound we've told. Great Job, as always, by Greg Hengler. A great and beautiful God story. Sue Thomas' story here on Our American Stories.
7: From BBC Radio 4.
8: Start your week with the Hello Monday podcast. Listen to Hello Monday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
3: From LinkedIn News, I'm Leah Smart, host of Everyday Better, an award-winning weekly podcast dedicated to personal development. Whether you're looking for ways to shift your mindset or seeking more fulfillment in your life, we've got you covered. Join me as we dive into captivating stories and research-backed ideas that have empowered me and others to lead lives with more clarity and intention. Everyday Better, making growth an everyday practice. Listen to Everyday Better on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleha Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States.